to Fly on the Wall. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Peter Malinowski, clinical psychologist in Indianapolis. And, and I'm Jerry Crete, uh, licensed marriage and family therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. We are honored to be here at Rural Woods in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is hosting us for this weekend. And we want to introduce all, all of our guests. We're pleased to have every one of them with us. So over here on my right, on the far right, we have Dr. Eric Boudin of Integritas Psychological Services of Indianapolis, Indiana. And then here, Dr. John Cadwallader of Central Psychological Services on the south side of Indianapolis. Thank you. Right here to my left, Dr. Eric, I'm sorry, <laughs> Dr. Andrew Sodergren. <laughs> it's only like I've known you for you know 10 years, right? right. So. Only, only, only. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Andrew Sodegren, clinical director here at Rural Woods in Cincinnati, Ohio. And then to his left, Dr. Mark Glafke of Glafke Psychological Services, Lafayette, Indiana. Got it. All right. So we are here in this special feature to show you, our listeners at Souls and Hearts, what happens when a group of Catholic mental health professionals get together just to talk about whatever with regard to uh, with regard to um, the interface between psychology and Catholicism. We've got a few questions here that, uh, that we might bring up. You're certainly welcome in the discussion section to give us your questions for when we meet again. And uh, we'll just see where this goes. And I want everyone to know that this is totally unscripted. We are not, uh, we didn't pre-plan any of this. Uh, so, um, this is typically how we sit though when we get Just everyone knows. Right. Always support intimacy. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. So, we had a few questions here. Not, let's, we don't have to bother with these questions either. You know, we can just start with, you know, something that we think our, interest, our listeners would be interested in. Um, or we can, you know, pick up with something that we got here. Let's start with a question. Let's start with a question. All right, so one of the questions is, what does it mean for a Catholic mental health professional to love his or her client? Great silence. <laughs> Great silence. <laughs> Let's contemplate first. Yeah, everybody's thinking like, what's the impact gonna be like when my clients watch this, right? Yeah. I think it's willing the greatest good for our clients, for our patients. I think part of that is in terms of how we think about it is the sense of where, how do we see more than maybe they see in themselves in the sense of goodness, which I think is a real challenge regardless of why people come in to see us. Being able to see more and to be able to love them in terms of not where they are, but seeing the goodness in terms of potential of what uh, the people that God wants them to be. Honestly, I see it as, um therapy as a sacramental experience in some level. I see it as a way to channel um, Christ's love through me uh, to, the, to the client, to a patient. Um, and that feels like a very heavy calling in a way, because it is. So instantiating, incarnating Christ's love, making present the body of Christ, um, the, the church, hear you present with patients and, and clients. Yeah, I get that feeling sometimes. But how? How do, how do we do that? And what makes it special for us is <clears throat> mental health professionals, right? You know, like that's that's the critical thing I'd like to get to in this in this question is what does it mean for a psychologist or a marriage and family therapist? How about in that work? 
right? Well, oftentimes our patients come to us and um, in, in a place of suffering uh, and often shame. And so we see them not at their best, but often at their worst. And they share things with us that they wouldn't share with others. And so it creates a special opportunity for grace, a, a special moment where if we can continue to see the good in them, Right, and affirm the good in them. Right? It gives you know the, this this opportunity for a greater impact uh, for change because they're revealing the things that they don't reveal to others, uh, and that's you know what makes our role special. Because there is a formality in the sense what is the of the relationship, the therapeutic relationship that in with other professionals is a certain, well, and maybe with us too, um, you ha we do have to be very attentive to um, an imbalance because of our care for their good. Um, and it's, while they of course are trying to love everyone around them, <laughs> um, I don't think it sh we should be uncomfortable with the focus that we have on them. Um, but sometimes I can feel like it has, I, I'm talking with the secular colleagues, it feels like it has to be very formalized, it's very distant. Um, it's according to some book of what the correct way to care for someone is, following a manualized um, um, practice. Yeah, I think it reflects the disposition too, like what we do before we work with patient, um, during and after, which is, you know, uh, prayerfully considering them and what they're bringing to us. Um, and, you know, I think that helps me in terms of when I'm present, the disposition, my affect, and in my receptivity and responsiveness. Um, you know, particularly times where we're challenging and someone's struggling, you know, to really like accept some truths that we're trying to lovingly convey. And we think, well, I've got this amazing way of conveying this and that should be received. And to be okay with it when it isn't. Right, to kind of meet them where they're at and they're suffering and because they don't get that a lot in their lives um, of not feeling understood, things like that, and to be able to provide that to them and having to acknowledge our own stuff sometimes. Um, so, and I think that they can experience that in a way you can't really verbalize. Uh, but it does take a lot of preparation on our part outside of sessions to make sure that we can be as loving um, and, and present uh, as we can. I see it a lot as son uh, <clears throat> Cyrene. So to me, I think part of why you know, it's powerful for lots of reasons, but it's a sense of where, you know, what's curious about that is, I mean, here's Simon, here's, you know, doing whatever he's doing, watching what's happening. He gets pulled into the situation he probably didn't ask for, but the sense of where, what's important about that is a couple things walking with the Lord in terms of his suffering and his experience in the sense of where it was it was sharing the cross. And what we realize, I think, as far as us as clinicians is that, you know, we do have some limitations in the sense of what we can do, what we can't do in the sense of, you know, really in terms of like God being the operative factor here in terms of how he's working through us. So we can't love our patients enough to take their cross. We can walk with them mm -hmm. and we can support that. You know, we can share that suffering, but we can't remove it. Because the cross, for whatever reason, 
I think actively or passively in terms of God's will, whatever he allowed or willed to happen, that level of suffering has the potential of, of goodness. Now that, that's a gift. So we can't take that away. And I think the, you know, the cross, you know, truly whatever the, the true cross is for them, because I think a lot of people pick up crosses that aren't really meant for them, um, has the potential of being good. So there's that sense of intimacy of sharing that with them as they're suffering and also some of that burden. Hmm. I really um, resonate with the idea of receptivity and the idea that I have to get to a place where I am still, where I'm calm, where I'm both receptive to whatever the Holy Spirit might be prompting in my heart, but I'm receptive to um, the client. And I'm not reactive. I'm not trying very hard to do something. I'm just listening and being there. And I feel like if Christ is our model, then he didn't typically say a lot. I mean, obviously when he was preaching their parables and so on, but the words that he said were often few and powerful. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what we have the opportunity of bringing when we get into that place of being receptive. I was thinking about it in terms of eyes. You know, one of the things that I think is, is really important is to help clients to see themselves kind of through our eyes. And so that means that, um, you know, we see them very differently than they see themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we appreciate their difficulties in a really different way and understand their difficulties in a really different way than they do themselves. And that sort of alternate perspective really helps them to break out of those narrow confines that they've been sort of, you know, you know, kind of going round and round in with the wagon wheels, just getting deeper into the ruts, you mm -hmm. know. Because um, a lot of times they're misconstruing, you know, how they understand their experience because of, you know, whatever their, um, whatever their life history has sort of, uh, you know, have shown them and the way they've made sense of that. So, so that alternative perspective, I think, is really important. I love that. I, I think the idea of seeing the image of God in every client no matter what is being manifested mm -hmm. um, is just very very powerful so i love that and that enables you to do that to see right the, the truth that's there that they themselves don't necessarily see, see right at that time yeah in his encyclical deus caritas est pope benedict the 16th talks about two dimensions of love agape and eros and it would be interesting to reflect on how those two dimensions interplay in our work with our patients and how we go about loving them. Which is what I was thinking about with the formality. Because um, there is a contract. Um, as mental health practitioners, there's boundaries within the therapeutic frame. Um, but we bring our persons and we are personally with our patients mm -hmm. and so we of course love them but there's a framework within this mm -hmm. and you need to be present <clears throat> um, and I appreciate Jerry that um, <laughs> and being able to reflect God's love to them being able to see them differently than they see themselves <sighs> but I still can't get away from thinking about just you know <sighs> the field and kind of the the, the, um, the somewhat the formality, the the therapeutic hour, 
um, some, I, I'm trying to be, make, be attentive to how these boundaries and confines, well, yes, because all relationships have boundaries and confines, and it's not artificial. Well, I guess it's, it is artificial. It's artificial, but it's still human and personal. I've gotten that a lot from clients. I don't know about you guys, but that, you know, this is an artificial relationship. Mm -hmm. you know, paid friends? Paid friends. <laughs> Right, you have you have to love me. Right, <laughs> you have to accept me. So you're, what do you really feel about me? Right. If you weren't my therapist, would you look at me the same way? Right. You know, and so there's kind of a way that there's a devaluing in mm -hmm. sense sometimes mm -hmm. of some clients, right? Uh, but I would argue though that our patients, our clients, are smart in the sense of where they would know if it's fake. Right. I mean, so I think that's really because what are they doing? They're resisting love. Am I worthy of love? Am I worthy of this? I mean, that's part of the resistance. And I think some of it is, particularly if you work with someone over time, they will know that this is something where, I mean, there isn't the authenticity. I think they know and they don't know, actually. I think it's I think it's more nuanced because I think there may be, you know, ways that they know, ways that they don't, or a lot of times they're just not sure. Sometimes the experience of being loved in therapy is just so foreign right. for some of our clients that mm -hmm. it's, like mind-blowing, like they don't know what to make of that. Well, I agree, and, and I think that's kind of the back and forth, the sense of where, <clears throat> you know, the consistency, the constancy of the experience, but they reject that, or they make it something, you know, in other ways, what it's not, which I mean is, is fine, it's a good place to try it on. But the sense of where, I mean, you know, on a deeper level, you know, they're resisting love. Well, but that resistance comes from their experiences, right? Sure. I mean, their experiences have taught them that that they're not worthy of it or that it's not safe for them to be open to that or they shouldn't want that, right? So so that resistance, you know, has a, has a story, right? And I'm always trying to, to unpack that uh, with my patients. Um, just to be clear about one thing though, that I think is probably important for our viewers and that is when, when Pope Benedict talks about Eros, right? This means more than, than sexual desire, right? Right, it's, it's I think, an important caveat, don't you think? Yeah. Right, so eros in this sense means uh, the, the desire to be with the other, right? So the desire to be with the other. And agape, of course, is, which is kind of more what we've emphasized, is willing the, the greatest good of the other. I think you said that, John. Virtuous relationship. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But what's beautiful about what he says is that these dimensions have to go together. They, in fact, they need each other and that God even has both of these types of love for us, both the willing our greatest good, but also the desire to be one with us, right? They coincide for God. And in some way, they're always intertwined in our relationships, even with our patients. You know, that really speaks to me um, because it speaks to being present. Mm -hmm. Because we can want good things for lots of people, right? but to actually <laughs> want to be present with them. Yeah. And for them to experience that presence is often new because think about it we run around in our lives you know running kids here and there doing things we we often don't just sit with people mm. you know so the idea of just being with someone being listened to connecting is is actually foreign mm -hmm. unfortunately being yeah. still being yeah. still yeah. well and then clients can come to to maybe believe and this has been like really surprising for some of my clients when they say, I think you may actually like me, <laughs> you know, like it's not just that you're obligated to love right. me or right. you're loving me because you're a Christian man or something like that. But I think you actually like me, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and, and like you were saying, you know, want to actually be in relationship, right. you know, 
So I think that's a really critical thing. Is I yeah. think you just look at the sort of right. obligations of Christ, you know, of, of charity, right. Right? right? Willing the highest good. That can right. seem pretty sterile. Well, right, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what Pope Benedict says is that agape without eros becomes a kind of a cold moralism, mm-hmm. right. right? And and, and mm-hmm. certainly our patients will feel that, right? Um, on the other hand, you know, Aquinas says that the will is drawn towards the good. If we if we are sincere about seeing the good in our patient, then that should motivate us to want to be with them, right? And want to be in their presence and want to know them more, right? Because we're seeing something of God's goodness reflected through them. Mm-hmm. So there should be a, a healthy kind of attraction there of wanting to be with. But that also needs to be subordinated to what's in the greatest good right. mm-hmm. for the patient. Right. right. So that's what it means to love your patient. Very good, Andrew. <laughs> I appreciate the footnotes of Aquinas in the <laughs> You're welcome. No, I'm sure there's much more to be said, though, uh, Dr. Gudan. <laughs> that was a good summary. <laughs> and for our uh, for our viewers, uh, you you two have known each other since what year? Yeah. Uh, well, when did you when did you start at IPS? Um, 2004. Yeah, so since Five? 2004. Yeah, that summer that you uh, you came. Yeah, the summer, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 15 years. Happy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what yeah. it is. It's not paper or straw. <laughs> yeah. Sticks. Yeah. And there's still eros. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. I I enjoy being with all of you. Even Dr. Gudan. <laughs> <laughs> willing my good but, you know, particular This way. reminds me, though, of one, one more thing about this whole topic that I think is, is, uh, is interesting. Uh, Conrad Bars says that, that uh, in some cases, the greatest form of love uh, takes the, the form of um, self-restraint. Mm-hmm. So getting at this sort of interplay between Eros and Agape, right? If I, um, I may desire to be with the other... I may delight in their goodness, but I have to to measure that against what is you know what is good for them, like what is the uh, uh, appropriate for our roles, mm-hmm. right? And that certainly comes into play in therapy because we have to maintain, as you said, the therapeutic frame, mm-hmm. right? And what is the purpose of this relationship and the boundaries and so forth that are all there for the patient's well-being mm-hmm. to keep them safe and to help us you know pursue these therapeutic goals not just because we like being together, right? But the, the point is though too, that it's okay for us to like being together as long as it serves those purposes right. and is in harmony with those purposes. That's why it's really critical for clinicians to be self-aware, right. to be really looking at the motivation yes. mm-hmm. for yes. why we're doing what we're doing. Absolutely. And to be really honest about that, to be in touch with other clinicians, you know, checking things mm-hmm. out, doing consultation, you know, things mm-hmm. like that, to make sure that something isn't sneaking into, you know, a particular relationship, right? Because, um, because again, we go to the client, right? We're yeah. using, yeah, yeah. we're human. That's right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I mean that's something that that, that hap- we have to do continuously, right? right. Um, you know, our own our own fallen humanity is in the mix here too, right? In the process mm-hmm. of therapy.